Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. This is the podcast where we speak to podcasters and find about what their story is, their drive, and how they got to where they are today. I am your host and for this week and your founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tashuk. It's T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. And this week, I am joined by Martine Jean from the Film Bug Podcast. Martine, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Will. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. So the Film Bug Podcast. The Film Bug Podcast is a storytelling podcast that gives a glimpse into the behind the scenes on indie film and TV projects. It's a space where filmmakers recount the process of creating a project from development to delivery, from the ups and downs, the fires and sparks, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Filmmakers tell it all. Now, How did you come up with this? Because it's a phenomenal idea and a very unique idea. I've listened to podcasts for almost 10 years now, and I have not run into a few, many podcasts that are a lot like yours. It's very interesting. Tell me about it. Well, I'm in the TV and film industry myself. And having been on a number of film and television sets, I've seen a lot of crazy things happen. Um, And as a producer, as I've had to put out a lot of fires, Um, both figuratively and literally (laughs) that Uh happened on sets. Yeah. Um, And so I I thought, you know, I really want to hear more because sometimes I, I, you know, you go out for drinks with friends and you start talking about what happened on your set and they're telling you about what happened on their sets. Um, And so I thought it would be a great idea to, to talk about what we don't see on the screen, to talk about how these movies get made. But I really wanted to focus on ND films because those are films that are made by people with little to no money, people who have to beg their friends to contribute to their GoFundMe campaign or ask their parents to give them some money to make a movie. And they're literally scraping by to try to put something together uh, and make something that can be beautiful on screen. Those, to me, are, are fascinating um, and then the, the the sweat and tears that go that go into making those projects really just blow my mind sometimes. So, you know, I decided to first reach out to friends um, because I knew it wouldn't take much convincing to have them come in, in on the podcast and talk about their projects. Uh, and sure enough, you know, my first season is mostly friends. And then, you know, by by the middle of the season, all of a sudden it became word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people just reaching out to me saying, hey, I heard my friend on your podcast or, hey, I heard uh, another friend talk about it. Um, and so that's how I, I was able to get the rest of the filmmakers uh, for season one. And as I was telling you before we even started recording, um, as I was listening to your podcast, I found myself getting hooked really quickly because it's such a unique way of storytelling, one I haven't really heard many times or if all before, which I do want to get into a little bit later on. But before I do, I want to tell you to tell the people where they can find your podcast. I know it's probably available anywhere along with all the usual plugs, but I know you also have a website. Yes, the website is filmbugpodcast.com. If you go there, all of the episodes upload there automatically the minute they go on the podcast platforms. Um, And as you mentioned, we're on all of the other platforms. We are on Spotify, we're on um, uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, you name it. We're on all the podcast platforms. And a quick 30 minutes, too. I listened to four of them, and I was like, huh, wow, I can't believe more like halfway doing season one. Oh, I always try to make sure that I... I have one episode, I think that's 35 minutes, but everything else I try to hit the 30 minute mark um, because I want people to to stay entertained and to listen to the entire episode and, instead of getting bored halfway through. So, And I also want to know a little bit more about you because I have it written here in my notes that you were an Ohio State Buckeye with a license to practice law in Ohio. So how do you go from practicing law in Ohio to moving to California, Los Angeles, to become an SVP of a global production company. How is that happening? Because I know a lot of people who studied law. Let me tell you, very few of them are film buffs. Yeah, you know, interestingly, there are actually quite a few people in the entertainment world with a legal background. Uh, You know, I've met um, a few people who were practicing attorneys beforehand and then decided to get into the entertainment business and they are executives at, you know, the, the, the big uh, networks and big production companies. Um, for me, you know, I've always had an interest in entertainment. Initially, I thought I was going to be 
a big uh, actress. <laughs> I, I started out wanting to be an actress. I actually did a lot of plays when I was growing up. Um, and then even in college, I was still starring in, you know, little community theater plays and stuff like that. Um, and then funny enough, even while I was in law school, I was doing little local commercials, um, you know, and, and still doing community theater. So it's something that I've always had an interest in. Um, but I come from an immigrant family. I'm uh, originally from Haiti. Um, and from my immigrant family, they, the arts, as far as they're concerned, is not a career. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the way they think. It's that, okay, you need to, you, you've immigrated to a country where you have opportunities. Now make the most of those opportunities. And, and to them, it, Haitians, you know, the mindset is, unless you're a doctor, a lawyer, uh, a nurse or some an, an engineer, you really don't have a career in in their eyes and in, in my family's eyes. Um, and so, at some point, I decided to go to law school. But you know, the more I think about it, the more I think, okay, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think a lot of it had to do with making my family happy. Um, but then, I, at some point, I decided that I wanted to make me happy too. <laughs> so, um, I'm happy that I was able to find uh, something that. I, marries both where I do sometimes get to use my law degree because I am dealing with uh, working with the, the legal department at the company where I am, where, you know, we have to deal with contracts for crew contracts for locations, um, distributor distribution contracts, acquisition contracts, et cetera. Um, so I do get to use the law degree, but at the same time, I'm doing something that I love, which is being really involved in the arts and in, in creating art for for tv and and for um the big screen your family must be really happy for you because you literally took the best of both worlds and used both of them to your advantage you know for for a long time when i was um leaving the law the practice of law when i was moving from ohio to california i didn't even tell them <laughs> they they had no idea what i was doing for a long time and i really never um, officially told them what I am doing. They just, you know, kind of get tits, tidbits here and there. And, you know, they, they put the pieces together and they're starting to understand a little bit about what I do, but I didn't tell them for a very long time because I, I mean, my family, they would be disappointed and there would be discouragement and, you know, people would say things and I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to deal with that. So I didn't tell them for a very long time. What did your passion for filmmaking in the industry come from? Because I know for me, it stems from me being a little kid, literally watching Titanic every single Tuesday. It's not an exaggeration either. But for you, where did you get, where did you first catch the bug for filmmaking in the industry to let you know, this is what I want to do? So it, it, it's kind of the same for me too. When I was growing up, there are two things that I really loved. One was actually a radio program. Um, in Haiti. And it was, of course, in Haitian Creole. And it was by, by a man called Maurice Sixto. Maurice was a storyteller. Um, and every Sunday, there was about an hour block of just Maurice telling stories. Um, and it was so fascinating to me because you can listen to him. And at the same time, you can visualize what the, this man was saying. He was very well known. He was revered in Haiti because he was such a phenomenal storyteller. Um, and I was just obsessed with his style of storytelling. I was obsessed with the with the stories he was telling. And he was just absolutely hilarious. He was brilliant. So there was that. But there was also um, me watching television as well with one of my favorite programs, which was MacGyver, of all things. <laughs> <laughs> the original MacGyver, that is. Um, and I, I would watch MacGyver episodes and then I would try to recreate what MacGyver was doing. So I was a child who was in trouble almost every single day because I was always burning something or breaking something, just trying to recreate what, what MacGyver did. Um, but for, for us in Haiti, um, you know, we didn't get a lot of, of the American TV shows or the American, uh, films, we did get quite a quite a bit of the uh, um, French movies. So I grew up on a lot of French movies, uh, on a lot of Alain Delon starring movies or, or a lot of uh, Louis de Funès movies. I grew up watching those a lot and they always fascinated me. And I, I, I always wondered how they were done, how they, they were uh, created. The few American movies we would get and American TV shows we would get, they would be dubbed 
and would have this really strange voice speaking French. And you can look at the lips. You're like, I know they're speaking another way, but right, but right. I'm hearing this very strange French voice. And I remember when I first came to the United States and I, I was watching a TV show. Um, I can't even remember what show. It may have been the Cosby show. I'm not quite sure. I was watching it in English this time. I'm like, oh my God, these people sound very, very different from what I was used to when I was growing up. Just hearing these strange voices and, and now you're hearing the real voices. It was a very different experience. So I was always fascinated by all of that, how all of that comes together and, and how you do it. Um, and 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 I initially, as I said, I thought my interest would be, you know, being in front of the screen, being an actress. And then at some point I was like, no, I, you know, my focus really should be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I made the transitions from, from being an actress to really being producing and then, you know, later on to, to some directing and some writing as well. So you go from practicing law, moving straight to LA to work behind the scenes. How did you start? How did you get into LA? And LA is the place is where you want to be for this kind of thing. It's the hub, but it's a do or die attitude out there. It's kill or be killed. So how did you start? What kind of jobs did you take? Uh, what kind of hats did you have to put on, especially starting out? Because I can't imagine he's kind of just jumped right in and just started, oh, I'm a director now. So as you mentioned, LA is a very difficult place. Um, it's an expensive city. Uh, it's, it can be a doggy dog industry. So it's it's not easy at all to break into this industry. When I first moved, it was quite difficult for me because I moved by myself, um, mm. which is kind of what I did when I moved to Ohio too, because I moved to Ohio by myself to, to um, go to Ohio State University. Um, I didn't have any family there or anything of that of that nature. So it was the same thing when I moved to Los Angeles, I packed up and I moved and, and that was that. Um, and I went through my savings very quickly, which shocked me uh, because it, 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 I had sticker shock here because in, in Columbus, Ohio, you can have, you can easily buy a home, uh, you know, you can own property, you can do this and do that. It's all very affordable. Yeah, um, yeah. You, move, you move here and, you know, you start thinking, hey, I can rent an apartment at the same price that I was paying in Columbus, Ohio, and people just laugh at you because that does not exist. Um, and so when I first moved, what I had to do was actually my law degree, again, came in very handy because I started work as a consultant, a legal field. Uh, and then for about a year or so, I did something called document review, which is really not um, you know, the greatest thing for an attorney to do, but quite a few attorneys do it to make a living. And I actually, I've, I've written a pilot for a TV show about document review because that world is so interesting and, and hilarious to me. Um, and so I did that for about a year. Uh, and then I continued doing consulting jobs here and there. And then, you know, one day I happened to walk into a restaurant. It was uh, uh, the grand opening of a restaurant. Um, and I, I should say that at the time I was also doing a couple of radio bits. Like I, I was hosting a, a re, an online radio show uh, I was taking little roles here and there in, in short films because, again, I wanted to be an actress. But I'd also started taking some writing workshops and directing workshops, like six-week workshops, just to get a feel of what it's like to be behind the scenes. And then, as I said, I happened to, uh, I walked into a restaurant. It was a, the, grand, the grand opening of that restaurant and just started networking and mingling. And I met the owner of the restaurant who also happened to be a uh, film producer and owned a small production company. And, um, you know, I was talking about wanting to know the behind the scenes and how it all works. And he said, come on, on board. (laughs) And I'm like, what, you know, the best way for you to learn is by doing and it's trial by fire. So, Mm -hmm. you know, let's go, let's do this. Um, So I started out just doing these uh, super low budget uh, faith-based films um, that were done very quickly uh, that cost very little money. And it literally was trial by fire. Uh, and that's really how, how you learn is, is by doing, at least for me, that's how I was able to learn. So that was my first brush with it. And from then it, it just kind of became kind of word of mouth, you know, that one person says, is this something you're interested in? And you're like, yeah, okay. And then this person brings you on board and, you know, and then I bring somebody else on board for something. That's just how it works. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got started. What's your favorite thing to do behind the scenes? Are you more of a director? Do you prefer writing? Or do you still sometimes, you know what? I got that itch. I kind of want to hop back in front of the camera and just see what happens. 
Um, I love directing um, and I love writing, but directing is probably number one for me. Um, and I've written and directed my own short films. Um, and I've directed a couple of episodes of the TV shows that I've produced for the company that I work with currently, but absolutely, um, directing and writing, it it just feels like you have a little bit more control over the, um, output. Uh, but also it, you know, making a movie, it's, it's, um, it's a team, it's teamwork. It takes every single person on the team to make it happen. It really, truly does. And I love it that, you know, when you're directing a project, you can lean on your cinematographer or lean on your um, AD and discuss how to set up a shot, you know, uh, talk with the gaffer about how to light the shot and, you know, talk to the wardrobe about what colors work best for the scene in terms of the, the clothing that the actors are wearing or you know, the set designer, you know, moving different pieces that may seem, you know, minor in the scene, but really change the whole uh, composition in a way. Um, so I love it. I, <laughs> I, I really absolutely love it. How do you go from all of that to starting a podcast, right? It's like idea of, you know, getting a microphone, doing all the research, thinking on how to set it up, distribution, social media, all that. How do you go from a busy schedule like that to, you know what, I'm going to take my talents to the podcast world. You know, I've been thinking of doing this podcast um, since last year. And the reason I was thinking about it is because, as I said, I've had to put out so many fires on sets. And when I talk to friends, they've had to put out so many fires on set. I'm like, oh my God, we need to talk about all of the shenanigans that happen behind the scenes, because some of them are just unbelievable. And I even have friends I asked and you know, they, they would love to come on the podcast, but they they can't discuss some of the things that happen. Right, they really right. can't either because it was with a big company and they don't want to get sued or because, you know, they want to continue getting work in this in this in this city. So they don't want to say something that all of a sudden makes them a target or people shun them because they blabbed on a podcast. Um but, but yeah, for me, it was about hearing those stories of what happens behind the scenes, because I know of what has happened behind the scenes on some of my projects. So I, I thought about it since last year, but I never had time because I, I was always working or when I'm not working, I'm working on my own projects. I just never really had time to focus on it. And then um, the shutdown happened <laughs> on uh, March, I think March 13th of this year. Literally, you know, I remember with my colleagues, we're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is probably going to be a couple of weeks. So we'll be back in the office in a couple of weeks. I'm like, OK, great. And then a month later, I'm like, oh, <laughs> and, we're, and we're still gone. I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I currently have a running count. Um, with one of my colleagues at work and I did, t- I ended up taking this week off cause it's the last week of the year. But if I was to work, this would be my 41st week in a row of, of working from home, which is just absolutely remarkable because it wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah. And, and it, I'm, I'm astonished that this is still happening because again, when we first went home, I'm thinking, yeah, two weeks max, we'll be, we'll be back here. We got things to do. Yep, we have yep. things to shoot, blah, blah, blah. And here we are. I'm telling you, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking. I, I, I went into the office a couple of months ago just to grab a few things. And then I realized all of the other small production companies that were on our floor, they're gone. They yeah, are completely yeah. gone. Those offices are completely empty. Um, it, we we're still the only ones with, with furniture and our office. And now we're like, well, why are we still paying rent? You know, <laughs> because we're not there. So maybe we should just move for now. until you know, until we, we decide to get back into a, an office space because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole idea was, okay, I'll, you know, I'll be back. But then as, as the months started passing by, I'm like, okay, you know, I've been wanting to do this podcast forever this is the perfect time to do it because now I have the flexibility. I don't have to be stuck in traffic to get to, to the office and LA traffic is notorious. It's yeah, so yeah. bad. Yeah, it yeah, takes yeah, you forever yeah. to get from point A to point B. So I, you know, I, I didn't have to deal with that. It was just a lot easier and I had the flexibility of doing it from home. Um, and you know, even though I didn't have access to a recording, a professional recording studio and all that stuff, I bought a mic, I had my computer 
Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I can just go into my closet if I want it to be super quiet, just go into my closet and record. And that's, that's that, that's what happened. Now, when I, when I listen to your podcast, it reminds me a lot of one of those, those old school radio serials. Like, you know, I just watched a Christmas story recently, so like the Little Orphan Annie or like the H.G. Wells, uh, War of the Worlds. Do you take something like that as your inspiration? Now, I know you mentioned you listened to um, the, the Haitian radio show, which is like that kind of entertainment. Was that one of your inspirations that made you want to do something like this? Um, it absolutely was. That's actually why I mentioned it. It's because um, uh, that style of storytelling um, at the time was so fascinating to me. It was so interesting. It it felt fresh to the point that now in in two, two, 2020, um, Haitians still seek out those recordings. A lot of them are on YouTube. And I noticed actually a couple of people have taken them and animated them, which I mm. thought was interesting as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic way of, of telling stories. It would literally was just a man telling stories, but he would change his voice for different characters. And he would also serve as the narrator. And he was just absolutely brilliant. But for my podcast, um, I don't have all those skills. <laughs> uh, so for me, I wanted it to be interesting and, because I, 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 I'm coming from the filmmaking world, I wanted the podcast to feel like you're watching a movie. And in fact, one of my goals for this podcast is for it to be animated at some point. You know, if you have half hour of animation mixed with some live action and you throw some, uh, you know, a, a lot of filmmakers shoot uh, behind the scenes on their uh, projects. You throw some of that behind the scenes footage in there and I think it would be something that would be very entertaining, but also very educational for people who want to get into the business or for people who are just interested in, in how the, the sausage is made. There are millions, I mean, probably actually millions of movie podcasts out there that cover everything under the sun from movie reviews to news, current events, you know, historical movies, whatever. But, um, but with your podcasts, it's it's different because like you clearly interview these guests, but how you put it together, how you cut it, put the pieces together, it sounds like you were never actually in the same room with your guests, it just sounds like your guest is telling their story and you are just narrating it and you let them and the effects and the music really tell the story for you. It's actually quite remarkable how you literally just just, just kind of guide them through it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the what what I wanted. That's how I want the the audience to listen to it. Um, it definitely is of an interview. <laughs> um, and some of those interviews are long. I got, uh, there's one for episode 102, which is with Daniel Pico. That interview was two and a half hours long. Um, wow, the wow. episode is 35 minutes, but right, the interview right. itself was two and a half hours long. Um, I, ha I have learned since <laughs> to keep the interview a little bit shorter, as interesting as it may be. The one with Daniel Pico was just so interesting. There were so many elements to it that, you know, it was worth it for me to sit down with him for two and a half hours and talk about his movie. Um, but, but yeah, you know, sometimes people get going and they start telling you about the details and about different things. And it's really fascinating and it's really interesting. Now, when I'm done with those interviews, now I have to sit down and actually put that show together and decide, okay, what should be kept and what should not be kept? What is important and what is not so important? Um, and then remove a lot of, you know, the pauses or the hesitations and, and all of that. Um, but also, I will say that I've had at least one person after the interview who called me and said, hey, can you not put that part in there that I said? And then I have to think, OK, is this something that's essential to the story and or not? And it was not something that was essential to the story. So I didn't include it. But that was a person who legit, when we're talking, when we're having these conversations, people really get into it and they get really excited and they start telling you things that they've never talked about before. And they start naming names. <laughs> and then afterwards, they're like, 
yeah, because they're like, uh, I need to continue working in this industry. Um, so yeah, I've had one person call and say, Hey, can you remove this person's name? I'm like, no problem. You know, having the person's name is not necessary and it's not essential, um, to, to the story. Uh, so, so yeah. You know, a very, very wise executive producer once told me, shout out to Nakia, by the way, that the most important thing in the entertainment business is your reputation. Now, if you don't have a good reputation, if you have this kind of reputation for being hard to work for or bad on set or whatever, you can forget about it. You might as well kiss your career goodbye. You need to have that positive influence and it's going to get you far in life. So yeah, you definitely do not want to risk angering the wrong people. Yeah, that's very important because as I said, you know, there was a point where, yeah, it was difficult for me to break into the industry, but it, at some point it just became word of mouth. That's how you stay hired. That's how you're working. It's just one person talks to the other person. You get on one gig, you do a great job, you get along with everyone or, or mostly everyone. And then at the end, another person calls you for another project and that's just how it works. And if you do start having a reputation, all of a sudden you're just not hearing about any gigs anymore. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is break an NDA. Now I can only imagine how much time it takes for you to cut the audio and post. You put the music in sound effects, like a bird chirping or a siren that's included in the actual story. So take me through the process of how you cut all that out. You know, you have an interview of up sometimes upwards of two and a half hours and you cut it down to 30 minutes and add in all those extra features now, how do you do that? Take me through the process. Do you have to get rights for the music? You know, all that jazz, pardon the pun. I conduct the interview, as I said, and then I have two and a half hours or one hour of an interview with someone. The first thing I do is I take the audio from that interview and I get it transcribed. Mm. Now, there are a number of ways to get it transcribed. You can use auto, Otter, I think, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. They have free transcription. I think it's up to maybe 40 minutes or an hour or something like that. Um, So you can use otter.ai and get your transcription. There are other websites as well that offer transcriptions. There's rev.com that I use professionally, like in my uh, official job. I use rev.com a lot and we rely on it to get transcriptions for all of our shows so this production process can run smoothly. Um, so I use Rev.com and I send my audio to Rev and I get the transcripts 10 minutes later. <laughs> um, and that's because it's, it's, it's you know, the computer generated transcripts. Um, so a lot of it, there are some mistakes in terms of how it is transcribed. Yeah, but that's yeah. not a big deal to me because for me, I just need a, a general uh, transcript right, right. of the conversation. So I get the transcript about 10 minutes later, and then I sit down and I write the story. I literally take that transcript, I read through it, I cut out the parts that I think are important and paste them into a new document with the time codes, you know, saying from minute five to minute uh, uh, seven fifteen. this is what, you know, the, the person who was being interviewed said. I cut them all out, and then once I'm done pasting those onto a new document, I go back over it and I start adding my narration and I add my narration in between each, uh, you know, copied and pasted bit of what the interviewer said. And then I go through it again to make sure it all makes sense to make sure it's all coherent. And then I think about what kind of music, what kind of sound effects I would want here, what I would want there. Um, And all of this is color coordinated, by the way. (laughs) So when I'm adding the music, I have a different color of, okay, this is the type of music I want here. Um, this is the type of sound effect I want there. And each one has a different color. Um, and then I use, uh, there's a website called epidemicsound.com um, that does have a monthly fee that you pay. And then you have access to a slew of music tracks that you can use. Because one thing with podcasting and music is that you have to be very careful when you're using other people's music because you don't want to get sued and you don't, or you don't want the podcast platforms to remove your content because you're using music that you don't have permission to use. So a lot of this comes from epidemicsound.com. A lot of it comes from um, other uh, sources like GarageBand or something like that. But you just have to make sure that you're getting music that either it's free or you've paid for in order to, to have the permission to use. 
Um, and so I put all of that together. And then sometimes I do one pass at it where I, I loosely put it together. I cut it together, go into Audacity um, and cut it together. And then I send that over to a friend of mine. His name is uh, Law X. And he is uh, a musician, but he's also an editor. He used to live in the United States and he moved to England. I believe he's, he lives in London right now. So I just email that to him. And then if I have more notes, I send him notes and with time codes saying, hey, from this minute to that, change this, from this to that, please change that. I send those notes to him and, and usually takes him a couple of hours to send, the, to send and, and that's it. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot of work, which I guess explains why you do it in seasons. Now you release episodes a season in seven or 10 episodes per season. And now that season one is finished, you can now start on season two. So how much time do you think goes into this podcast a week? How much do you work on this per week? So for me, it's one entire day. So I would say 12 hours a week for one episode for me to do all of that. And then I send it to, to um, law and then he works his magic with the rest of it. So it takes me 12 hours a week, really, for one episode. And a lot of it has to do with me stopping and doing other things, stopping and because whenever you have something to do, that's when you find all kinds of other things that you, you need to do. So there's, there's a lot of stop and go. But it doesn't seem like a lot of work to me because that's what I do in my work life. That's what I do every single day. I, I put shows together. It, it, I mean, that's just something that I do every day. So for me, it doesn't seem like it's a lot of work. It just seems like, okay, I need to put this piece in this piece and, the, and then that's it. And moving right along. So this really is like a part-time job for you. So I guess my next question is, is this podcast, this whole idea, is this a passion project or is this kind of turning into a business where you kind of make it into a job and try to make a profit off of it? So, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of these podcasting uh, events, both online and in person, when we were able to congregate in person. And a lot of it has to do, you know, there are a lot of speakers who talk about monetizing podcasts and putting ads in your podcast and doing this and that. And certainly I can put ads in it. I think for me, it would be nice if I could um, at least cover the cost of, you know, me working for a full day and then having my friend come in and do some of his work, which is not a lot at all. That would be great. Um, and I'm open to at some point adding an ad you know, into the, the individual episodes, not more than one, because I don't want people to be distracted. Right, right. But at the end of the day, this is about um, promoting myself as a storyteller, as someone who can put a story together. And sure enough, you know, I've had people reach out to me for production jobs <laughs> on film and TV because they heard the podcast. I actually had a young lady that um, I had as an intern at the company I'm with uh, about two years ago, had her uh, on a summer internship at the company. Um, and she's now working for another company. And she reached out. She said, hey, I heard your podcast and the company I'm, I'm with, they're looking for a producer for, you know, this hair uh, pro products campaign. Would you like to come on board and produce? I'm like, oh, you listen to my podcast? That's wonderful. But that's how those things happen. Um, and then the other thing for me with this project too is just building a community and making friendships and meeting other filmmakers, um, you know, and, and knowing and staying on top of what everyone else is doing, how they're able to put their projects together. Um, because I have, you know, my own feature film that I also want to film and, and get off the ground, which is independent of my regular job that I do. And so I know how difficult it can be to get the funds yourself to make right. your project, to get the right people to come on board, uh, uh, to help make your vision a reality. Um, so that's what really keeps me going. But yeah, it helps that I do it by seasons <laughs> so that I have a break in between seasons. Um, but even during the holiday break, I have people reaching out to me who want to be on the podcast. So I've actually already recorded three episodes of interviews. Um, I have yet to go through them, but I, I've already, I already have three interviews um, done. But what I'm doing in the meantime is um, uh, I, I'm recording little videos, little five-minute videos of myself talking about how I know 
the filmmakers that I interview in the, in the episodes. So I already dropped two of those, like two mini episodes, uh, four to five minutes each. Where I'm like, okay, episode 101, I interviewed Joe Doherty. This is how I met Joe, Joe Doherty, which was literally 12 years ago at a film market in Santa Monica. We just, two people in the, there were thousands of others. <laughs> and we just happened to meet and we started talk, talking and we remained friends. And then, you know, he decided to make his first film. Um, you know, when I first met him, he was working for John Singleton and he had, he worked for John Singleton for a number of years. And then when he decided to make his own movie, he had to find the funds to make his own movie himself. Um, and it was an uphill battle and his, you know, he had all kinds of problems on his set. He, he got into a fist fight on his set. You know, uh, they were shooting in Detroit at, at, at a corner store. Somebody walked on the set with a gun. It was just madness, but he still got it done and he put it out. It's on, on, on Prime. But so in that four to five minute video, I talk about how I met Joe, how I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've done episode two about how I met Daniel Pico, uh, who is the filmmaker that I talked to in for episode uh, 102. And Daniel is someone that I actually hired to work at the company where I am to come and work for us. Um, and he was fantastic. And I know he, I knew he had made a film, so I wanted to talk to him about his film. But he was also um, going through the coronavirus. He had it for a good two to three months. He oh, was wow, very wow. ill and went to the hospital a number of times and they refused to test him in the beginning. When he finally got tested and tested positive, it was, it was very difficult for him. He had trouble breathing. He lost like 50 pounds. It was, it, he had a really rough time with it. And my stupid self in the middle of all of this, that's when I'm like, Hey, you want to do my podcast? And he's like, <laughs> dude, I think I'm dying. I'm like, what? I, let's do it when I start feeling better. I'm like, okay, great. No problem. And then that's when I realized on Facebook, he actually had been talking about this every single day about what he's going through. I just hadn't been on Facebook often enough to see it. Um, and then, you know, at the tail end of his illness, he's like, let's do this. I'm like, are you sure? He said, yeah, I want to get this out. I'm starting to feel better. I'm getting my energy back. Let's do it. And that's how we ended up doing episode, uh, recording episode one or two. And he is the one who spoke for two and a half hours of all people. <laughs> So he was just feeling it. He was just like, yeah, COVID schmovid. I'm just going to keep going and just see what happens. Let it rock, as I like to say on this podcast all the time. That was. He was just like, man, I need to talk about this. So so in the meantime, every week I drop these little videos on IG and I, I'm dropping them also on the podcast platforms. Just the audio where I talk about how I met these filmmakers just in the week to, to fill in the right. weeks leading up to um, season two. I totally understand why podcasters want their podcasts to be in seasons um, I really get that, especially for yours. Um, but you have to keep the attention span of an audience between seasons, especially for a podcast. You know, it's not like The Mandalorian where people are excited and waiting the year. You know, podcasts are so short, they kind of just forget about it. And you need to do it stuff so consistently. Otherwise, they're gone. And they're not only like gone, they're not coming back. So I'm very glad that you are a step ahead of the game, ahead of the curb, and creating something else for people to to stay tuned in. So kudos to you for that. But I also want to get back to guests. Now, you mentioned at first there were a lot of guests where your friends, people you knew in the industry, and people reaching out to you through word of mouth. But as soon as that's dried up, that's done, how do you find your guests? Do they need to fit a certain criteria? I mean, obviously, they need to be filmmakers. But, like, can anyone listen, call up and be like, hey, listen, I'm doing my senior film. I'm interested. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually spoke to uh, one young lady. I think it's episode 104, 105, Rachel Benjamin. She talked about her thesis film. It was her, she was getting her MFA. And the movie she talked about is her thesis film. Um, And, yeah, I'm absolutely open to that, Uh, you know, because for her as well, it was an uphill battle. She had to come up with the money herself. She didn't have enough money to put the crew up in hotels and they had to, you know, kind of shoot an hour away from where everyone was living. And she put them in a Bible camp, which was not fun because the crew had to sleep in bunk beds. I mean, it was, it was uh, an uphill battle, but yeah, I'm absolutely open to that. Um, it, honestly, I don't think I will get to a point where I might go, there's, there's no one to interview only because with word of mouth, there's always uh, someone who wants to talk about uh, their film because a, a lot of uh, filmmakers I'm noticing, they see it as promotion for their projects as well. Um, instead of just talking about, the, you know, the behind the scenes of what happened on set. 
Um, so I, I hope I never run out of people to interview. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to uh, thesis film, uh, first time feature filmmakers. Absolutely. Yeah. Any dream guests? Like I want to interview Steven Spielberg. Yo, Steven, come on, come on my show. Let's go. Let's do it. I I want to I want to talk to Spike Lee. <laughs> mm. I want to talk to Spike Lee, but I want to talk to him about his, um, you know, the the beginning, not the movies that cost a lot of money uh, to make now. You know, the ones that you know he's he's getting the big money and the big budgets to make. Um, but you know, I want to talk about that. She's got to have it. The the like the very first film that he made uh, uh, back in the eighties. Um, or even his thesis film from film school, how he went about putting that together. Um, Cause it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to me to find out how, how you started, um, how you were able to bring all of those pieces together when you had virtually nothing, when you couldn't just pick up the phone and call the studios and say, Hey, I have a project. Will you please give me some money to make it? And even that nowadays is very difficult. Uh, yeah, even yeah. for established people, even for, you know, Spike Lee and et cetera. But I want to talk about the, the, the smaller stuff and, and the ones that take all the, the grit to make, cause it's your first project and you're absolutely terrified. Um, right, right. but you take a leap of faith and you do it anyway. So yeah, I would love to have Spike Lee on. And especially with such a high profile guest like Spike Lee, like, you know, he's had such an illustrious career and he finally won his first Oscar just a few years ago. You know, like when you're interviewing a high profile like guest like that, you know, you kind of kind of think outside the box and ask him or her, you know, a question they haven't been asked for a million times. Um, and I think what you're thinking of in the realm of, you know, their early works is a good way to go. And I remember I was speaking to a guest on this podcast not too long ago. He interviewed the voice of Porky Pig. So I asked him, I asked him the same question. I was like, what do you ask Porky Pig that he hasn't been asked a million times before? And um, remind me, I'll send you the file if you do get to interview Spike Lee. Um, so you can kind of get some insight and some background onto what to ask and not to ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you don't even ask the question and people are just, they're just in the moment during, while you're yeah, talking yeah. to them and they just start spilling all kinds of beans. You know, it, it, the episode one or two, I don't know if you, if you had a chance to listen to the Daniel Pico interview, there's a, 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 a part of it where he's talking about where they had a sales agent who took on their project and, and promised them all these things and they signed the contract and then they never heard from the guy for years Meanwhile, their movie was everywhere. And then they were getting sales reports saying there were no sales. They were making zero money. And then they went to a film market. They went to AFM in, in Santa Monica. Um, and they approached him at, at the stall <laughs> while he was urinating. They, they approached him and said, hey, what the heck is going on with our movie? Where is our money? I mean, this is not something... He goes around telling everybody, <laughs> but, right, right. you know, during that interview, he's like, yeah, we had to get gangster a little bit and, and approach him and say, hey, what, what's up? What, what's happening? Where, where's our, our money? Um, so sometimes people get in, in the mood and they just feel they spill all kinds of beans and they tell you all kinds of tidbits that you were not expecting. But for someone like Spike Lee, this was so long ago that, you know, I want to have him sit there and reminisce and think about, oh, my God, this happened guy did this and you know that's where you get really the gems and 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 just the great stories you you really are lucky right that you're part of two communities that are so supportive you know that being the film and industry uh actor community and that of being the podcast community because the podcast community that is fantastic i haven't had any bad experiences you know my those one of few two people trying to sell you something you don't really need but you know the community of people you reach out and they go, yes, I want to be on your show. I want to take part. I want to help each other. It's really refreshing. And if you just reach out, I have, I have no doubt in my mind that you have too many people knocking at your door wanting to be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, so so far it's been great. So far it's been great because I, I remember uh, my friend Liz Manashil, she posted on her Facebook page about two friend, film, filmmaker friends that she had. She said, you know, guys, please support these films. These filmmakers went through a lot to make their films. So I commented, I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to them. And then Liz is like, no problem, I'll connect you. And then next thing you know, I had two interviews. Um, one of them is Acute Failure, which is, uh, I think it's episode 105. And then um, the other one is What Breaks the Ice uh, with Rebecca uh, S. Christ. So that's how I got those, those two interviews. 
So all of your podcasts are around just about 30 minutes and the interviews themselves are much, much longer. So I'm asking myself, why, why, why only 30 minutes? Especially when you have so much extra content there to use, why don't you just use it or use it for other avenues? Yeah. So one thing I I thought of, uh, you know, repurposing some of the extra content, even with these new little five minute videos that I'm putting out is including a little bit of the audio that was not included in in the original uh, episodes, including that into those um, so that people hear things that they've never heard before from those episodes. Um, But really it's, it's, because again, I come from film and TV, mostly TV, I'm used to episodes being an hour or half hour. <laughs> of course, the content is not exactly 30 minutes or, or 16 minutes long when you're in, in film and when, when you're in TV, you have to think of um, commercial breaks. So your content usually for half hour, it's 24 minutes of content for an hour. It's 48 minutes of content that you have. And then the rest is going to, it's accounting for commercial breaks. So for me, um, as I said, I wanted this, I want still want this to be an animated series at some point. Um, And so for me, I had to think of, okay, do I want this to be an hour or a half hour? But I know for some of the episodes, there's enough content for an hour. And for others, there just isn't, you know, the one about the MFA, it's a short film. And so there isn't enough for an hour. So to me, it's a, if, if, if I start thinking in terms of a TV show, it's a half hour TV show. And so my, the, my podcast episodes are half hour. Another thing too, is that I don't want to lose the audience halfway through, you know what I mean? Because I, I know for me as a, as, as a consumer, as a podcast listener, I love listening to podcasts, but at some point I'm like, all right, okay, I'm done. I'm going to move on to the next thing. And so I think I have people's attention for a half hour um, and you keep them engaged. You keep them entertained and you're also dropping educational tidbits. I think that's enough for me. And then whatever I have left of those interviews, I repurpose it and use it. You know, now that I'm uh, on a break, I can use some of that during the break. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. 30 minute TV episode, 30 minute podcast. It does kind of coincide. So yeah, that's actually a great answer. All right. Moving on. What were some of the hurdles you had to jump over when you first started? What was something you really struggled with in the beginning and how did you overcome it? Um, for me, it was a matter of, uh, pinning down a schedule with the people that I wanted to interview because, um, you know, this kind of started during the summer. And I think during that time, everyone was kind of, you know, settling and thinking, okay, this whole stay at home thing, working remotely is going to be for the long haul, but people were still a bit frazzled and not sure what's going on. And, you know, thinking I have to remain productive 24 seven. So just, just kind of coordinating my schedule with, the other person's schedule, um, that, you know, it, it got a little bit gnarly at times to figure out what works for you and what works for me, or you're in this time zone and I'm in that time zone. So that was, um, definitely a little bit gnarly. Um, but, but for the most part, it, it was fine, you know, in, in terms of putting the, the pieces together for a, a storytelling podcast like that. Um, I think my work as, as a TV producer, Help tremendously because that's I'm, I'm doing the exact same thing except I'm doing it for audio only and I don't have the added burden of video to think about as well um so so that part was came pretty easily um for me uh and then the other part that that was kind of difficult is that at first I thought I could edit this all of it myself um I'm not an editor. <laughs> I can, you know, cut little things together, no problem. But, you know, when it becomes a, a, a more involved task, uh, I'm not an editor. And so the first episode I, I put together myself and, and then it took me forever to cut it. It took me forever. And I'm like, if I am to really do this, I cannot cut this myself. I can't do it. I have to do a paper cut, which is, you know, essentially write the story out on paper and indicate where the sound cues are, where the music cues are, the sound effects, um, indicate where they are, you know, giving time codes and and all of that. 
But in terms of physically going in and cutting this piece and, and following what's on the paper, that takes a very, very long time. Um, so it, it took me to putting the first episode to, together to realize, okay, I won't be able to do this myself because it just takes too long. Um, and then, you know, finding someone was also a little bit difficult. But then I remembered that I, I have people in the film and TV world that I can reach out to. Um, and, and law X is one of them. So I reached out to him. He's like, sure, no problem. You know, except he's like, but I'm in England. I'm like, not a problem. You know, so, (laughs) so that worked out well. I actually know someone who is a potential client of ours at InBiggestPodcastSolutions.com where she is trying to do like a long form storytelling, actual written story, um, podcast, like voice actors, production the whole nine yards. So I consider that something similar to yours. So what advice would you give to someone like her looking to start a podcast similar to yours or similar like hers to get started? What's the main piece of advice you would give them to kind of make their dream come true? Yeah, I, I've heard of a, a few of those podcasts. I'm assuming it's fiction. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, I've listened to, to a few of those. Um, they're very entertaining. Uh, and I'm, I'm noticing that a lot of... Uh, television, you know, and film production companies are starting to reach out to the podcasters that create fiction, especially uh, to option their content and see if it's something that can be made into a, a television show or, or, or a film. Um, the best thing I would say is make sure that your everything is done properly in your pre-production. That's really the most critical phase of all of this. The pre-production is when you're, you're putting all of the pieces together um, make sure you cast the right people, make sure you have the right uh, equipment, or if they're recording on their own, you make sure everyone is recording on the same, uh, equipment. I would say same microphones, just because you want it to sound like they're really all, if you have, you know, three people having a conversation in one room and they each sound different, it's just not going to work. Um, so it's probably best that they have, they all have the same equipment if they're recording separately so that the sound sounds, uh, authentic, but really pre-production. And when you're putting all of your pieces together, that's the most, um, critical part of all of this. And then once it's done, it's all about, you know, sitting down and, and, and cutting basically either doing a paper cut or, um, physically cutting it. And and that's all there is to it, but certainly your pre-production Make sure all of your ducks are in a row. Hundred percent agree. I know one of the first things I told her was, was like this: write it. Make sure the writing's tight. Make sure you have all your ducks lined up in a row. Like you know, funding, acting, everything else you can worry about later. Um, but just make sure the writing is finished. It's tight and it's good to go. Um, because you know, pre- if you don't can't do pre-production, you're kind of in trouble. And you know, just like everyone thinks. You can't fix everything in post and not everything is fixable in post. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot. Seriously, the pre-production is the most important part of all of this. It really is. I do want to wrap up here is talking about the film industry as a whole and specifically the independent film industry with the COVID pandemic and how hard it is out there. So what have you heard in your experiences of people you've talked to from like a writer, director, actor, editor, uh, lighting guy, sound guy, anything under the tree of film and TV production. How hard is it out there right now? How hard are people struggling? Uh, the indie film industry is getting crushed. Um, I hope uh, we survive it. Um, but right now, the indie film industry is getting crushed because there are a lot of restrictions due to COVID. If you're in Los Angeles and you want to shoot, that's, that's nearly impossible. Uh, you know, because there's a stay at home order, even though they've made exceptions for productions. Here's the thing. Um, there's a big issue with production insurance, uh, covering COVID in particular. And there are a lot of companies that are offering COVID production insurance. However, first of all, it has to be a production that is I think the minimum is a million dollar production. That's the minimum for them to cover it. Um, So that automatically (laughs) eliminates the really super low budget productions because you don't qualify because you're not spending a million dollars on your film or TV project. Secondly, that insurance only covers 
um, a shutdown. Like if you have to shut down your production because someone gets sick, then that insurance will cover all of the days that uh, the production is not uh, active. Um, so it, it, it doesn't even, you know, cover individuals who get sick, et cetera. The good thing with California is that California is allowing people who get sick on sets, who get COVID on set, there's a rebuttable presumption that you got COVID while you were working. So then you're able to apply for workers' compensation. Right. Um, but again, it's a rebuttable production uh, uh, pr- presumption that you got it on set. So if the employer wants to say, no, you didn't, then, you know, you're in a fight. And, and that's just what it is. Um, so there, there are a lot of obstacles right now. Many of us who want to make films, we really can't because uh, the big productions, they have the money to not just buy insurance, but there's a whole new department now that, that has emerged from all of this. It's the COVID compliance department when you're making a movie. So, you know, the big productions have the, the a COVID compliance officer who is on set to take everyone's temperature every day to make sure there's enough um, PPE for everyone every day to clean, to, to make sure there's a PA wiping down the set to have appropriate breaks uh, for people every day. And then on top of it, there's usually a testing coordinator who comes in to test people uh, because SAG, for instance, requires testing every three days if you have SAG actors on your set. So you have a testing coordinator who is there to test people for COVID-19 every three days and then, you know, to give the results and say this person is negative and positive, et cetera. And then in those cases, you also have to deal sometimes with false positives or false negatives, which happen. Um, So all of that is extra money that you can afford on a big production, but the indie, the small indie productions, you can't afford a whole new department uh, on your project where you're hiring two to three more people and you're buying a bunch of PPE and you have to buy a bunch of tests and they're not cheap to, to, to have those done on set. Um, on the other hand, there are people who are taking the risk of shooting. They're being cautious, but they're taking the risk of shooting. And, you know, what happens if someone gets ill on your set and decides to file a lawsuit or they get sick and they get everybody else sick? Uh, you know, it's, it's just all of these risks that some people are taking and some people don't want to take. So, you know, some of us are just, you know, we've decided we're not doing anything for now. So let's just wait and see when things ease up a little bit. Um, but, but indie film is getting crushed right now. Um, uh, I do know quite a few indie filmmakers who right now what they're doing is they're writing and they're polishing and they're thinking of ways to reduce the budgets on their project so that it's something that can be done in fewer days with fewer, in fewer locations with fewer actors just to make it more manageable and more doable. Um, I, I think we'll be okay. Uh, I know quite a few, few people um, leaving Los Angeles, actually, because it's hard when you're not working and you still have to continue paying bills in a city that's very expensive and you're under lockdown <laughs> because there's always a lockdown in Los Angeles because we have so many cases of COVID-19. Um, but I think in the end, we will be fine. Um, I hope so. I am hopeful that, you know, by summer next year, hopefully fall next year, things will will start to get back into a groove. I don't think it will ever get back to what it was before. Uh, and in, in some aspects, that's a good thing uh, because, you know, I think the way we were doing things, things before maybe was not necessarily the best way. So, you know, I, I look forward to getting back on set and seeing my friends and making movies and, and making TV shows. Fingers crossed that the independent film scene can survive this COVID outbreak because the indie, indie film scene is so important to the industry. You know, like a big gripe is, you know, that they don't get seen, they don't make a lot of money. But those film festivals being Sundance, the one in Austin or the one in uh, Toronto Film Festival are so important. It really is the foundation of the cinematic industry because that is how people get started. That's how people get seen. It's how people get noticed. You know, at those film festivals, there's a breakout star. It's like, oh, watch that kid. That kid's going to be something. This chick is the next big actress. This guy's next Leo DiCaprio. And if you ask any filmmaker, director, writer, they tell you, I got started in the independent film scene. So yeah, as superhero movies are great and big budget films are amazing and we all love them, they can't exist without a strong foundation that is independent film. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I, like I said, yeah, I do hope that we can recover um, because I, I, I agree with you that it, indie filmmaking is really the heartbeat of it all. Uh, it's great when, when the huge super mo- superhero movies come out and they make millions of dollars, but even they've been crippled now because yeah, now you yeah. spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a project and you can't release it on, in theaters. So you can't really make all of that money back and you have to re- release it on streaming platforms and all of that. And you know, that it, maybe they should take a cue from the indie, indie film world and how we do things on super tight, low budgets. Um, and you can, you can turn a profit that way instead of the, the hundreds of millions that are spent, uh, you know, but I, I hope, I, I hope we survive and, and, um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I really am. Well, with crisis comes opportunity and, you know, America really is the foundation for creativity, uh, for the most part in the world, especially in the movies and entertainment. Now, Someone, it is possible for people to find success here. Like there's a comedian, uh, Andrew Schultz, I believe his name is. You know, once it started, he just put his head down, got creative, started doing these comedy bits on Instagram. And he recently sold um, a show, like a five-part series over to Netflix. So it is possible for people to innovate and find new ways to create. So have you seen anyone in your field who has kind of done that, any great success story of people who found a way to kind of cut corners and still keep their dreams alive, still find a new way to have an entertaining product out there. Yeah. You know, there are, um, people doing things, uh, going viral on different, uh, platforms. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, doing things that are fresh and, and interesting. Uh, there's a gentleman actually who, uh, I think it's, it's B Huntley is his name and his production company is the B Huntley productions. Uh, over the summer, he shot a little trailer that he put together for a, um, dramatic version of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and it's called Bel-Air. <laughs> and it's it. like, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like four minutes long. He put that together during the summer and then he put it on Instagram and it blew up. It went viral everywhere. And Will Smith saw it. And Will says, this is fantastic. And met with the filmmakers. And now it's a show that's coming sometime next year um, called Bel Air. You know, it was just so shocking when it happened. um, And it happened so quickly. But it was just, you know, those filmmakers, it was their way of staying active during lockdown, you know, they put themselves in it, they put their friends in it and they put their little trailer together and then they released it on, on Instagram because, you know, now that we don't read, I mean, we still have film festivals and they're online and they're virtual and all that stuff, but now you just may as well put your stuff on, on your own platforms. And that's what he did. And he went viral and, and he got a deal off of it. And then there's another young woman, you know, she's, she's not a filmmaker per se. She's an actress actually. And she's been in the business for over 10, 10 years, if not 15 years. And she puts out these little videos and for, for the past years, and she's gotten a little bit, little parts on different projects. And then she had a 30 second bit on TikTok <laughs> um, over the summer as well. And it just went viral. Someone took the TikTok and reposted it on Twitter and it went crazy. And now she has a deal with Ellen um, where she produces content for Ellen that, that she also stars in because she's a vegan chef. So she makes vegan meals on, on this new show that she has um, through Ellen DeGeneres' uh, production company. So, so people are staying busy and, and people are finding new ways to, uh, to, to create and to bring their art to the public um, and to get people's attention. Uh, and, and you're right, it's, it's the creative people. Those are the ones who are going to survive. You know, we, th- this is not the moment for us to just throw our hands up and, and walk away. Um, you know, for, for those who can, this is really the moment to keep creating, releasing yeah. it. If you can't, if you cannot just keep polishing it and making better so that when things do improve, then you can create your art. And as Mr. Schultz said at the beginning of this pandemic, it's time to get to work. And I'm sure many people will figure it out. I don't think the independent film scene is going to die. It's going to be a tough road up, but it's, I don't think it's going to die. 
So my final question for you is how can people support the independent film scene right now? Because, you know, before this pandemic, it was easy. The answer was always just go watch the films, see them, support them, talk about them. You know, does that is that still it's not as relevant, but how can the public, the community, uh, the film industry, fans, how can they support the independent film scene? It's social media engagement. You know, if if an independent filmmaker posts a one minute trailer, like it, retweet it, send it to your friends, uh, you know, b- b- post it on a different platform. If you saw it on Facebook, take it and post it on Twitter so that more eyes get on it and other people can see it. It's that's really the way to, to support right now. Um, you know, since you can't be in a theater to watch the film, it's it's just being really active on social media and supporting them. And I say this as someone who is not a fan of social media because I tend to be an introvert. So social media is a chore for me, um, to be quite honest with you. But, you know, you have to do it. And and you just hope that people connect with what you post and decide to share it and reshare it and repost it so that other people can get a chance to see it as well. Martine, I want to thank you so much again for being on the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. I love your story. I love your podcast. I love everything you do in the industry. Again, I think your podcast is one of the most unique and creative out there. So please continue doing it. And I just want to thank you for being on the show again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Will. And thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I truly appreciate it. I seriously hope that once COVID is over and all this passes, you do continue to do this podcast. You don't get too busy with productions and everything else picking up because I am hooked. I am definitely a fan and I encourage everyone listening to this podcast to go check it out. So, uh, Martine, please tell the people one last time where they can find it, where they can find you and how they can support you and your podcast. Filmbugpodcast.com. We are on every podcast platform as well. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at, at Melange Media. I'm on Instagram at Melange Media. But yeah, filmbugpodcast.com. You'll get all of the episodes right there. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my guest, Martine Jean from the Film Bug Podcast. Please make sure you check her out. And while you're doing that, go to ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com and go and check out all of our other podcasts on there. If you like my voice and you want to hear more, go to the You Mad Bro Podcast with me and Nash Moore talking about everything in politics and what the country is mad about in that given week. Also, if you're a fan of professional wrestling, WWE, you can hear my voice alongside King Ricky and the K. Murphy on the King's of the rings podcast um thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week with a new guest new host we'll see you there take it easy